Well, happy Easter, Northland. Happy Easter to all of our Northland family and friends that are joining us online. Welcome. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. That is in the Old Testament. So Isaiah 43. We're actually starting a brand new series this weekend called All Things New. That's ultimately what Jesus accomplished with his resurrection. All things he is making new. Now, I was thinking about this idea of new, and I was thinking about a phrase that I actually have used often, and I'm sure every single one of us in this room engaging with us online, you have used this phrase, and here's the phrase, I need a new blank. How how many of you, you've said something like it, I need a new blank? All right, yeah, I'm guilty of that. Now, as I was thinking about this phrase, I need a new, just fill in the blank, I started to think once again of the difference between a need and a want. Now, you do realize the difference between a need and a want. If you don't, let me help you out right here. Here's the difference. A need is something you can't live without. You like the way I say can't, you know, because I'm from Tennessee. You can't live without it, all right? So a need is something you can't live without, which means you need it to survive. A want is something that you desire to have, but you could live without it. Now, that's the difference between a need and a want. Now, let me, let me share with you some of the things that I have said that I have needed. The first thing that I've said I've needed is a new phone. So I've, I've said I needed a new phone. How many of you, you've said that you need a new phone? Yeah. Now, my kids better be raising their hand. Where'd they at? Because you, all you do is tell me and your mama, I need. No, you don't. And here's what I tell my kids. You don't need a new phone because we haven't gotten a new phone yet. A- until we who pay the bills get a new phone, you ain't getting a new phone. Now, unless you got money, you got a money tree somewhere. Now, we do have one child. He does have a job and he, he can pay for his own phone if he, if he wants it. But, but they, don't, they don't need one until we get one. All right. So anyways, I, I, I'm... I'm just kind of telling you some laxton junk right here. Anyways, but another thing that I have said that I need is I, I need a new car. So how, how many of you said you need a new car? All right, yeah, yeah. So a couple of years ago, I actually had a Chevy Avalanche, and I, I really loved my Chevy Avalanche. And the reason why I loved it is because I felt like a real man. Like, I felt like I... I, I, I for the first time, I had a man card because I was driving around in a truck. I was from Tennessee. I was from the rural south, and I finally got a truck. Well, that truck started to die on me. I mean, no, no lie. I would be driving on, on the highway or on a road, and it would just die, and I would have to coast off to the side, and I would have to sit there and wait 10 or 15 minutes before it would crank. So I would go home, and I'm like, babe, I need a new car. And she's like, no, you don't. You need to get that one fixed. I'm like, and th- so, so it was some art, you know, we, we, we argued about until I got a new car. But anyways, I, I said I need. <laughs> uh, uh, some of us, we've said we, we need a new home. Now, I, I don't know how this happened in, in your house, but maybe you lived in a studio apartment, one bedroom, two bedroom apartment. You had one rug rack come along, then two, then three, and you're like looking at one another going, we need a new home. We need new space. We need more space. Uh, maybe some of you said you need a new outfit, you know, and so uh, that's just something that you think that you need. Now, no lie. So after Easter last year, we were shopping because I love shopping. So now you can pull my main card back. I love shopping. And so we were in a department store and I came across this suit 
and it was 75% off. And I'm like, I'm telling you what, I'm going to shock everybody next year. Uh, and so can, can you believe, I mean, no lie, my wife will attest to this. So in April of 2022, I had chosen my new Easter outfit for 2023. And the fact that it fits is amazing. Now, I had to squeeze in it, but, but I got my new outfit. And then maybe some of us, we've, we've actually said we need a new teenager by Friday. <laughs> you're like, Lord, I'm telling you, my teenager. And, and here's the thing. I mean, it, it, what you're saying is that you want a new teenager with a new attitude. Because here's what I'm learning. As I talk to other parents who have had teenagers or who currently had teenagers, even if you replace your teenager... It ain't going to solve anything. One teenager, I mean, it's just, yeah. So, but maybe you've said that. I wish, man, I wish we got a new teenager. So, but let's think about it. Need versus want. Do we really need a new phone? Do we really need a new car? Do we really need a new outfit, a new home? Do we really, I mean, like, do, do we need it to the degree we can't live without it? And the answer would be no. So what I think is happening, and, and this is just my opinion, Particularly in our culture, we have turned our wants into needs because we have everything that we need. So you, you and I, we don't need those things, but because we do have everything that we need, we think that our wants should become needs. Now, I'm sure that many of us in here, we've used some of these phrases before. I need a new lease on life. I need a clean slate. I need a fresh start. I need a new me. I need a new outlook. Now, if you've ever used one of those phrases or a phrase like that, you actually have gotten a little bit more to the heart of what we will unpack this morning. So if you're ready for what we're going to unpack this morning, say you're ready. ready. All right, here it is. Here's the main point. Uh, you need a new you. Happy Easter. And, and I've intentionally used need. Now, remember the difference between a need and a want. You need these things or you need this in order to survive. A want, you don't need it to survive. And so I have intentionally said that every single one of you, you need a new you to survive. I need a new me to survive. We need a new us to survive. And if you don't get a new you, you will face eternal consequences. So, we'll read one verse this morning, Isaiah 43, 19. So, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 43, 19. Here's what God says through the hand of Isaiah. God says, see, I am doing a, everybody say it, new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Let's pray. Father, may you be glorified. Jesus, this is your day as every day is your day, but we celebrate the day you rose from the dead. Resurrection, a new life. And so we pray that you would be the center of this message, that you would be or become the center of every life here and those who are engaging with us online. Spirit, so will you go to work ministering, serving, moving in and through us that we might be formed more into the image of our king, that people might be drawn to the beauty and the grace and the forgiveness and the transforming power of Jesus. So spirit be unleashed on us today that we might leave different 
on Easter Sunday, for it's in your name we pray our King. Amen. You may be seated. As you can tell, I am flat wired up. I mean, I'm on adrenaline right now. This is the fourth message that I have preached this weekend, and I'm going to give it everything I have. And so here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to answer four questions. Here's the first question that we're going to answer. Why do you need a new you? So if I'm telling you that you need a new you, I think you probably would ask, well, why? Why, Josh? Why do I need a new me? All right, well, here's what God says. I am doing a new thing. Now, in the context here in Isaiah 43, he's writing to Israel. Now, Israel was God's chosen people. You would think that they would be a really good role model for the entire human race, but actually, when you read Isaiah 43, and really when you read the Old Testament, they were not a good role model for the entire human race. And so God is telling them, his people, that he needs to do a new thing to give them a new them. I mean, that's what he is saying. So basically, the reason why you need a new you, I need a new me, we need a new us, is something has gone terribly wrong. And so for Israel, something has gone terribly wrong. Although God has saved them, redeemed them, called them his own, gave them a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, has protected them, given them provision. They have wandered from him. Uh, just in Isaiah 43 alone, look at some of the descriptions that Isaiah pens about Israel. Uh, we see that they had not called on or served God. His people got to a point where they weren't calling on him. They weren't serving him. Something had gone terribly wrong. A second point was that they had not honored God with their offerings and sacrifices. So if you know anything about the Old Testament in Israel, God had created a temple system where there were sacrifices and offerings that were offered up to God. Well, they had gotten to a point where they weren't doing it the way God had asked them to do it. So therefore, they were not honoring God with their sacrifices or their offerings. A third thing that we see in Isaiah, they had not been generous to God with their lives. So God had been completely generous to them, working miracle after miracle in their life, providing for them, being generous to them, yet they got to a point in their life where they weren't generous back. And then a, a fourth thing that we see is that they had burdened God with their sins and wearied him with their offenses. I mean, God just got sick and tired of them sinning. Like they were supposed to be different. They were supposed to reflect God's glory. They were supposed to represent God to all the other nations on planet Earth. But God got to a point where he's like, guys, y'all are blowing it. Now, if you read Isaiah 43, what you'll find is that Isaiah is predicting a time when Israel would be exiled by Babylon. Now, what's so fascinating is that Isaiah writes in the year 740 B.C., Israel would not be exiled in Babylon until 586 B.C. So almost, I mean, 150 years or so, he, he's predicting something that's going to happen in the future. And the reason why Babylon would come in and, and sack Israel and take them captive was because of their sin. So when you look at Israel in Isaiah 43, they needed God to do a new thing. They needed a new them because something was wrong with the old them. Now, Israel is a prototype for the human race. 
Israel is the poster child for the human race. So if something had gone wrong with Israel, it actually means something has gone wrong with the entire human race. In fact, in verse 27, we actually read this phrase in verse 27. Your first father sinned. Now, who was Israel's, who was the human race's first father? What was his name? Adam. And so God had created Adam, then Eve in his image and his likeness so that they might reflect his glory in all spheres of life. He had created this beautiful, harmonious garden where everything was in order. Everything operated according to its design. He gave them complete freedom in this garden, telling them that they could have from any tree that they wanted to eat from, except this one tree. Because what God was telling Adam and Eve is that I own the garden. I'm Lord of the garden. I'm king of the garden. And so just don't eat from this one tree. Well, we know what happens. Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree. Their eyes opened. They realized that they were naked, but naked. That's what they realized. And so they realized something is wrong. And then in Genesis 3, Genesis 4 through 11, and the entire Bible paints this picture of what has gone wrong with the human race. Just think about it. I mean, we have personal things that have gone wrong in our life. I'm sure at some point, every single one of us, we have dealt with shame and guilt in our life. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I have done bad. Many of us, we have struggled with self-image at some point. Maybe some of you, you're struggling with self-image today. You look in the mirror. You don't like what you see. Many of us, we have identity crises uh, throughout our life. We just don't know who we are, what we're supposed to do. Many of us, we constantly wage war on truth. I mean, particularly today in our own context, we got people that will say, I I'll do my own truth. I, I know my truth. I I as if your truth and someone else's truth is completely different, which makes it truth, because it doesn't. Amen. And so there's this, way, th there's this war that we have waged as the human race on truth. What is true? And then many of us, we, we struggle with mental, emotional problems. We have depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, anger. And then we have physical struggles like addiction. We have, we have substances that control us, that have power over us. And we know that they shouldn't, but we, we have not found a way to conquer our addiction. And so we're struggling physically. And then if you think about just how we can struggle physically through sickness and an illness. And then every single one of us, every single human being who has ever walked planet earth, they do have a sin problem. They have been separated from God, which is why every single human being will physically die at some point because that was the ultimate consequence for Adam and Eve's rebellion and treason, that you will surely die. Not only have we died spiritually being separated from God, but we will die physically and then vocationally or relationally things have actually gone south i mean we inherently blame others when something has gone wrong even if we know we did it well my spouse well okay, wait, hang on whose fault was it well, it was mine but you can't blame your spouse or then you might blame your dad well if my dad wouldn't have raised me this way if i wouldn't have come from a broken home we inherently blame others for where we find ourselves in life so so relationally things have gone south and, and then also think about it uh there's not a perfect marriage in here and my wife i think she said amen under her breath <laughs> i heard her i heard her <laughs> i mean, just think about it there's not a perfect marriage 
And so if you got a marriage that's struggling, hey, welcome, you are in good company. And then we find, we find ourselves having bad experiences with, with family. That maybe you are a victim of abuse in some form. Or we look at people that are not like us, maybe have a different skin color, maybe are of a different socioeconomic status, and we're immediately skeptical of them. Uh, human beings tend to be homogenous, meaning that they stick with people that look like them, believe like them. And then if you think about it, we have experienced, as human beings, we've experienced betrayal. We've either harbored unforgiveness or we've had unforgiveness harbored against us. And so relationally, things have gone wrong. Vocationally, we experience thorns and thistles. I mean, most Americans, they don't find flourishing in their work. Most Americans, they don't even want to be there. They're just there for a paycheck. And then many of us, we find ourselves unemployed, underemployed. Some of us find ourselves overemployed. What do you mean by that? You're a workaholic. But there's no joy in you being a workaholic, and it's affecting other areas of your life. And then many of us, we find it difficult to even answer the question, the basic questions of why we work and how we should work. And then we've all experienced dirty businesses, corrupt businesses. But we've experienced the businesses that choose profit over people. We've heard about the scandals in businesses. And so vocationally, in our careers, I mean, things just have gone wrong. And then culturally, you do realize that broken and flawed human beings build broken and flawed civilizations. You will not find a perfect nation. You will, find, you will not find a perfect governmental structure on planet Earth. And then you look at what's happening culturally is that we have international conflicts between nations. Then even in our own nation, there's political conflict between political parties that we even experience in our culture, generational conflict. You, you got these baby boomers looking at the Gen Zers going, well, those little young whippersnappers, they're ruining everything. And then, then I mean, it's like, Ugh, really? And, and then creationally, we live in a broken and flawed world. I mean, we have killer hurricanes. Uh, just this past week, killer tornadoes. A tornado ripped through my hometown in Tipton County in Tennessee. And then you look at, I put a bee up here because if you make a bee mad, that bee is going to sting you. You know it was not designed that way. It was not designed that way for creation to attack us. And then you got viruses, viruses and bacteria that attack our bodies, that hurt our bodies. I mean, so creationally, we live in a broken and flawed world of disorder and chaos. So when you put all of this in perspective, the reason why you need a new you, the reason why I need a new me, the reason why we need a new us is because the old me, us, and you is functionally dead. Which is why the Bible teaches, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God had a standard. We all missed it. And therefore, for the wages of sin is so we are functionally dead. Yes, you are walking, you are, you are living, but you are functionally dead spiritually, and that will ultimately lead to your physical death. So that is why you need a new you. Second question that we want to answer this morning. Who is going to meet this need for a new you? So, who's going to, so we've established it. You need a new you. I need a new me. We need a new us. So who's going to meet this need for a new you? Well, we see that God says, I am doing. Now, before we get to God, I want to talk about 
what the human race has been doing since the very beginning when we fell. So Adam and Eve, when they fell, when they sinned, they realized that they, they had a problem. And so here's what they did. They got on their new phone, they opened up their Amazon app, and they typed in sewing machine. And so they looked at all the reviews of all the sewing machines that were on Amazon, and they found one with 4.7 stars with about 25,000 ratings. You say, where did the ratings come from? I don't know. <laughs> I'm joking. This is all figurative. But here's where I'm not joking. What they did is that they went to work sewing fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. They saw something that was a problem in their life, and instead of turning to the Lord, they turned to themselves, and they said, you know what, we'll, we'll fix the problem by ourselves. That's what human beings have done ever since the fall. Hey, you know what, there is a problem in the world. We'll acknowledge that there is a problem in the world, but we can solve the problem. And so if you rewind about 300 years Earlier, we have the 16 and 1700s in the period called the Enlightenment. And when you study the Enlightenment that led into modernity, there's a lot of things that got better in this world. I mean, just think about where we are today. Well, we are a knowledge-based society. We have extensive research and ideas to help people self-improve. Like when physical bookstores were a thing, the largest section, the largest book section in these bookstores were the self-help, the self-improvement section. And so now we have not only books, but podcasts, YouTube videos about how you can improve yourself so, so that you can say things like this, I'm a strong and capable man. I believe. And then you can even learn the song, I believe I can fly. I mean, like, and you believe it because they've told you if you can just believe it, you can do it. And then you have been taught, like, I am not my mistakes. I'm better than this. I can do better. And so you, you're taught that you can actually self-improve. We have counselors and therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists that help us out in various areas of life. I mean, think about in our vocations and careers. We have operational management tools to help things run more effectively and efficient. We have HR departments, human resource departments that help us kind of bring a little order to the mess that we cause. We have unions. We've established laws in our society to help make our vocations and careers and organizations and businesses run better. I mean, some nations over the last 300 years, they have improved. Think about our nation. They call it the American experiment. You know why they call it the American experiment? Because nothing, nothing has ever existed like it where you take a diverse, pluralistic people, you put them in one nation where they could seek the common good and flourish. I mean, it had not existed. And so we've, we've, we've attempted to even get better nationally with our government. And then we've had advancements in science and technology and medicine that has brought about cures for illnesses, increased life expectancy, and even helped us to try to understand how we can be better stewards of our world. But, everybody say but. In all our efforts, human beings are not able to bring about a new you, a new me, or a new us. All of our improvements, all that they have done is served as Band-Aids or bandages, or medications. So they may have stopped the bleeding, but they have not cured the cut. They may have, they have, may have cure, curbed symptoms, but they have not solved the illness. 
You, you know what the principle is. Here, here's the principle. Let me give you the principle. Uh, we cannot cure what we have caused. We cause the brokenness. Mankind caused the brokenness. Therefore, we cannot cure it. But who could? Enter God. I am doing. Let me put up these three words right here. Here's what he says. I am doing. Everybody say that on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I am doing. That's what God says. You can't, but I can. Yeah. So, but, but think, about, think about this statement, though. Uh, there's some descriptions that really are in the, these three words. And he is sure about this new thing. I'm doing it. I'm sure about it. I've thought about it long and hard of where you are at, what you need. And I'm sure that this new thing that I'm going to do, it's going to solve the issue. And then he is determined to see this new thing through. I'm going to do it. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do this new thing that you need. And then, uh, this is my favorite right here. He acts alone to bring about this new thing. Here's what he says. Uh, you've done enough. Stop. Stop. Don't move, because I'm going to act alone in this. I'm going to do it. You ain't got to help me. I'm going to bring about a new thing that's going to give a new you. I mean, we are dealing, and this is what we are dealing with. We are dealing with a God who is omniscient. He is all-knowing. We're dealing with a God who is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Just listen to some of these other phrases found in Isaiah 43 and elsewhere in the Old Testament. God says, I have redeemed you. I will be with you. I will bring you out. I will gather you from every direction. I will make a way. I will sweep away your transgressions. I will make. I will put. I will forgive, I will write, I will deliver, I will save, I will rescue you. And when it comes to the new you that you need, you can't, but God can. You can't undo what you did, but God can. You can't solve what you've soured, but God can. You cannot fix what you have fractured, but God can. You can't mend what you've messed up, but God can. You can't heal what you have hurt, but God can. You cannot save what you have sunk, but God can. You cannot doctor what you have destroyed, but God can. And you cannot resolve what you have ruined, but God can. Preaching in this suit, sweating like a mule, but I'm preaching. <laughs> he can. The third question we want to answer this morning is what is so great about this new you that you need? All right, Pastor Josh. All right, I'll, I'll give it to you. All right, yeah, I need a new, new me. I, yeah, and if you're telling me that everybody is on the same playing field, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, well, I need, I believe we need a new us. I need a new me. And, okay, I, I can see where where you're going, like I've tried so many different things and yes, I have improved in so many ways in my life. I've become at least a better version of my old self. But I'll give you that, all right, so, so I wanna know, okay, what is this new thing that I need that God's going to do? What's so great about it? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Well, in Isaiah 43, there's three major things that will be accomplished in this new thing that God will do. And if you allow him to create a new you, you will be incorporated into these greater things. So what are the greater things? Well, here they are. Greater thing number one is that you will be part of a greater exodus. 
So verse 16 through 18, we read, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again. What's it referring to? It's referring to the Exodus. Well, what's the Exodus again? Well, remember in the book of Exodus, so Genesis, Exodus, you had the people of God, Israel, they were enslaved there in Egypt. And because of the oppression that they experienced at the hand of the Egyptians, they cried out to God. God heard their cry. God sent a deliverer, a savior, a rescuer whose name was Moses. And so he gets to Egypt. He actually had been there before. He grew up as a prince of Egypt, even though he was an Israelite, a Hebrew. And so he gets back and he gets in front of Pharaoh and he sings this song. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. I mean, so no, he really doesn't sing the song. But he does say, God has sent me to tell you that you need to let his people go so that they can go worship him in the wilderness. Well, Pharaoh, he's like, man, they bring me a lot of money. They have built, they, they have built our civilization. We are the powerhouse of the world. Like, absolutely not. Not going to let them go. And uh, Moses is like, well, yeah, I beg to differ. You are. And if you don't, God's going to rain down on you through all of these plagues, through all these miraculous powers. So 10 plagues happen. The last plague is the death of the firstborn. So Pharaoh lost his firstborn. And now he relents. He's like, all right, go get out of my country. Go so that you can worship your God. So about one to two million Israelites leave Egypt. And now they're headed towards the land of promise so that they can worship God. Well, so they haven't gotten out of Egypt too long before Pharaoh, his heart is hardened again. He's like, what did I do? I'll look at all that money leaving my nation. I got to run after them. I got to do something. I got to get them back. And so he gathers his army and he chases after Israel. And so Israel, they're freaking out because they're not warriors. They've never fought before and they can't go to the left. They can't go to the right. And obviously they can't go back because the army's chasing them. And there's the Red Sea in front of them. And so they are freaking out. So God tells Moses and the leaders, I want you to get into the Red Sea, take your staff, and I want you to touch the waters and I will part the waters. Well, the Red Sea is parted, and the Israelites, one to two million of them, walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. They all get to the other side. Well, the Egyptians and Pharaoh, they chase after the Israelites, and they are starting to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. But after the Israelites cross safely, God unparts the waters, and the waters come crashing over the Egyptians and Pharaoh, destroying them. And what Isaiah is telling us and what God is telling us about this new thing, it's greater than that exodus. Well, what, I mean, I, listen, that would have been absolutely unbelievable to be part of. But if you let God do his new thing to create a new you, you will be part of a greater exodus. You say, what kind of exodus is that? Well, let me tell you what has a grip on you. He's not an Egyptian. His name is not Pharaoh. It is death, hell, and the grave. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross, which we'll get to, delivered the greater exodus, releasing you from the grip of sin and death and walking you into the marvelous light. It's a greater exodus. And then there's a greater creation, a greater creation. So in verse 19 and 20, God says, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. 
He's saying, if you let me do a new thing in you to bring about a new you, you will be part of a greater creation. Like I said earlier, the creation is antagonistic against us in, in, in so many ways. But in this new thing, God will renew all of creation. He will make all things new. And there will be a creation that is, that is more beautiful than we could imagine. Uh, there will be no brokenness in this creation. Uh, the, the reverse will happen. Uh, the, the wolf will be able to lay down with the lamb and not attack it. A little small child will be able to play with the venomous snake and actually have a pet snake. I still don't want a pet snake, but in new creation, that will happen. In new creation, there will be no more hurricanes, no more tornadoes, no more tsunamis, no more viruses and bacteria that attack us. In God's new creation, all things will be made new. And so, if his new thing touches your life to make you new, you will be part of a greater creation. Then he says, you will be part of a greater people. Verse 21, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Like I said, Israel, it was just a roller coaster of a history. But if you let God do this new thing in you to bring about a new you, you will be part of his greater people. And this greater people, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be absolutely astounding what the Bible teaches. That this greater people will be one people but this, this one people will come from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group, every kind of background you could imagine. God is going to redeem and save a people from all peoples for himself. And you will actually experience unity in true diversity. And you, if you let God do a new thing in you to bring about a new you, you will be part of this greater people. So that's what's so great about this new you that you Need You will be part of a greater exodus, part of a greater creation, and part of a greater people, which leads me to the final point, and here it is. How do you experience this new you that you need? How do you experience? Because maybe some of you, you followed the logic, and you're like, all right, I'm following. I think it'd be pretty cool to be part of all of that. So how do, all right, Pastor Josh, how do I make sure I experience God's new thing? Well, here's what he says. Let's go back to the very first thing he says. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I want you to look at three facets of this one verse. And it's going to be see, springs up, and do you not perceive it? Here it is, something that you can see. So this new thing. So here's how you can tell this new thing and to make sure that this new thing is applied to you. So it's something that you can see, it's something that springs up, and it's something that you experience. And I, I've been waiting to preach this now. All right, I'm about to go buck wild. Here it is. So Isaiah 43, 19, scholars, theologians would say that what God is pointing to is the new covenant. Now, now, you, I know some of you are like, covenant, that's a big theological word. Covenant just means formal relationship. Formal relationship. 
In the Old Testament, the Old Testament is actually referred to as the Old Covenant. It was the kind of formal relationship that God had with Israel. And if you study the Bible, what you will find is that basically God set Israel up to fail because he knew they could not live out his standards with their old heart. All of the Old Covenant was to do is to reveal for Israel and the entire human race, we needed a new heart. Well, so that's why this new thing is so important because it points to this new covenant. And this new covenant would be made possible by Jesus. And so if you fast forward now, now Isaiah, he's writing 700 years before Jesus. So let's just fast forward to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, We see the Holy Spirit comes upon this virgin named Mary, uh, fertilizes her eggs, and she actually conceives the miraculous conception And nine months later, she would give birth to a son, but it wouldn't be just any kind of a son. It would be the son of God, fully man, fully God. And people could see Mary. People could see the baby that she had given birth to. And then this baby grew up in wisdom and stature. And he started, he started creating this following. He would call out men and says, hey, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. And then... When he was about 30 years old, he he begins to go all over the region conducting ministry. He teaches, and he teaches about the kingdom of God. People saw him. People heard him teach. And then he would perform miracle after miracle. He would heal the lame. He would heal the blind. He would raise the dead. He would take some fish and some loaves, and he would feed thousands of people. And people would see these miracles, and thousands of people followed him because of what they saw. And then he would be betrayed by one of his very own Judas. And he would be arrested and he would be flogged. He would be beaten. He would have six-inch spikes driven through his hands and his feet. He would be hung on a cross publicly for all to see. And there on the cross, he had many statements. But the last statement he made was it is finished. What's the it is finished? What does it tie back to? The new thing that God sent me to do. It is finished. And then he breathed his last. And people saw him on the cross. And here's the thing. Some of you might be skeptical and say, well, that's what the, that's what the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's what they said. No, secular historians say that there was a man named Jesus from Nazareth that walked planet Earth. Secular historians would say that there is a man named Jesus that was crucified by the Romans. So it's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John making this up. People saw this. They wrote about it outside of the Bible. He breathed his last. They took him down off the cross. They put him in a tomb. But that tomb was borrowed. And so he put him in the tomb on Friday. Then Saturday hit. It was silent. No movement. But then Sunday came. Sunday came. And the stone was rolled away. And the angel tells these women that that came there just to see uh, what, what, what had happened. They, they were actually coming just to pay respects to Jesus, but they saw that the tomb and the angel said, why, why do you look for the living among the dead? Do you know what happened on Sunday? Something sprung up. Jesus, he is the first fruit of resurrection. He's the first fruit of new creation. 
You see, his life was the seed that died, but his resurrected life is the sprouting up of new life. So you can see it, it springs up, but then something that you can experience. And so this experience is not just a seeing, it's not just a hearing, so therefore it's not just something that you experience outside of yourself. It's not something just springs up, but it's something that you experience inside that comes out. And so here's the thing that I want to ask you on this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, have you experienced new life that is only brought to you by Jesus? So you, I, I, I really don't know. Here's what I want to do in the next five minutes and then I'm done. Jesus gave seven I am statements through his ministry. And I'm tying these seven I am statements back to the statement that God says here, I am. I am doing. And so what I want you to do, I want every single one of us, listen, I want you, this is why we came here this, this morning. I want us to go through these I am statements and I want to see, I want to see if you have experienced the I am doing a new thing in you. All right, here we go. I am statement number one. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who eats of me will never hunger. Let me ask you, are you completely satisfied in life? Or are you still searching for something that would wholly satisfy you? Are you still searching for the job? Are you still searching for the paycheck? Are you still searching for the relationship? Are you still searching for answers that would satisfy, that would fully satisfy you? Because if you're still searching to be fully satisfied, you have not eaten from the bread of life. Because when we eat from Jesus, come hell or high water, come sickness or health, we are fully satisfied in him. We're not looking for someone else to complete us. We're not looking for something to go in our pocket. We have everything we need because we have the bread of life. I am statement number two. I told you I'm preaching now. I'm preaching. I I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will no longer walk in darkness. So yeah, we experience darkness, but that doesn't mean we have to walk in it. Why? Because we have the light of life right beside us. So when darkness hits, do you realize that you have the light of the world right there with you? He's with you. The third I am statement. I am the door for the sheep. The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I am the door. Everybody say the. He's the door. He's not a door. He is the door. Have you gone through him? Have you listened to him? Have you followed him? Have you entered into his house? Have you entered into his life? Because he is the door. He is the door for the sheep. Then he says, I am. I am the good shepherd. Do you you really experience that? Do you believe that? That though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Because your good shepherd, he's there. He protects you. He provides for you. He leads you beside still waters. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is the good shepherd. Have you experienced the good shepherd? And then, number five, I am the resurrection and the life. So when you get the bad news, it's terminal. You got six months, you got 12 months, you don't fret. Why? Because you have experienced the resurrection and the life. 
that though you die, you will live. And so you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear living life, how you're going to die, when you're going to die. You're going to live life to the fullest because you follow the resurrection and the life. Then number six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, if you follow Jesus, if you've experienced the new thing, when you're confused, you'll run to him. He's the way. When you don't know what is true, you'll run to him because he's the way. When you're asking, how do I, how do I make my marriage? How, how do I let my marriage flourish? You're going to run to him. When you don't know what to do parenting-wise, you're going to run to him. Why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. I tell people all the time. When it comes to parenting, we are winging it according to the gospel. Listen, there's a lot of things that we don't know, but we know who knows. So are you running to him? And then, number seven, I am the true vine. He who remains in me and I in him will bear much. What fruit, Josh? Fruit of the kingdom. The inbreaking kingdom of God where he is making all things new. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me ask you, are, are, are those evident in your life? Because it goes back to the new thing. If Jesus has done a new thing in you, and he's provided a new you, then not only will you have seen it, not only will you know it has sprung forth in the resurrection, but you will have experienced the resurrected life in you. And I think there are a lot of people today, they have seen it, they know it sprung up, but they haven't experienced it. So here's what I want to do. I would be, ne- I would be a negligent pastor if I didn't lead you in the last step. And here it is. I want you to all get your phones out. And I actually did this yesterday. And I want you to text the word respond to 97,000. Because I want us all to respond to what God has told us this morning. That's why I would be a negligent pastor on Easter Sunday if I didn't ask every single one of us to respond to what we have heard God teach us and tell us today. So text 97,000, three zeros, Text the word respond to that. You'll get a prompt. Here's the prompt. Northland Church, how are you responding to God today? And you're going to reply with the number. You have three options. Now, don't put an emoji. Don't don't put another word. You either put one, two, or three. So today, you could actually say, you know what? I'm going to receive. I'm actually going to receive the new life. I'm going to confess my sin that I no longer want to do it my way. I, I don't want the old me. I just don't want a newer, newer and improved me. I want a new me that only comes from Jesus. And so I, I want to repent of my sin. I want to turn from living my own way. And I want to look to Jesus as my Savior and King. So if that's you today, we want you to hit one. You receive Jesus. You receive the new thing, the new you that he has brought, that he has brought to you through his death and resurrection. Number two, some of you, you... You looked at all of those I am statements, and a lot of those things resonated with you. But some of you are like, man, you know, I've, I've just kind of fallen out a little bit. So you, you have trusted Jesus, but you've gotten a, to a point in your life where, you know what? I actually need to recommit. I need, 
I need to renew my commitment to Jesus. And so you hit number two. And then maybe some of you, you're resting in your newness. You're not perfect, but you are resting. You are striving to let him live through you so that you might manifest the new you he has made available through his death and his resurrection. So if that's you, you just hit three. We all need for God to make us new. Have you let him make you new? Let's pray. Father, as we end this Resurrection Sunday, may you be glorified through how we respond. For it is in the mighty name of our King, the one who died for our sin, was buried in the tomb, but three days later rose from the grave. It's in his name we pray. Amen.